everyone, Anna Lytle here. And Kat Pusey. And welcome to the Modern Farm and Artisan Co-op Podcast. We're here connecting you to the lives and stories of our local farmers, makers, and educators that are all dedicating themselves to positively and powerfully impacting the Southern Utah community. Today, we're talking with Meg Nilsson, owner and creative mind behind Circle Moon, a Southern Utah clothing and accessories brand that uses natural plant dyes and focuses on the idea of slow crafting. Meg is also a Pisces and one of the most energetic people I know. So let's start. All right. Hey, Meg. Hi. Thanks for having me here. Yeah, no problem. Thanks Thanks for for being here. Um, Okay, so give us some background on your journey. Like, what inspired you to start Circle Moon? Well, (laughs) it's kind of a long journey, but I I studied textiles in college. I didn't really know what I wanted to do, but I knew I liked color. So I started kind of taking, like, interior design and the textiles and, like, the sewing classes and all. And then I... And where did you go to college? So I started at Dixie. Oh, okay. And then I finished at SUU. But it was all within, like, family and consumer science. I've got my final degree in interior design, but my senior year, I had extra classes to fill. And I, so I was like, maybe I'll take this like clothing design stuff. And I always had like the textile classes. And then I really loved the clothing design. Anyways, and so I went on to work and it's kind of a long story, but I worked for anthropology for like years and then I ended up being a mom. And then when I was, my kids were getting a little bit older, I was like, what should I do? I need to, you know, get back into something. And I decided to step back into the textiles and the clothing, but I wanted to do it in a sustainable way. So I was like, if I'm going to go about like producing something, I want it to, you know, like benefit, like we were saying, like benefit the community and um, be more connected to like the land and just in a more sustainable way than it has been practiced more recently. And you were talking that that really got triggered working at anthropology, right? We we bonded over this, like yeah. the hundreds of boxes coming in every day. When you wanted to get into making, you decided that not only did you want it to be sustainable, you are like hyper focused on it being as local as possible. Yeah. So when I decided, yeah. So when I decided to step back into it, my whole goal and still is like the base of the value or like the goal of the business is as people pure of a source as possible and as close to home as possible. It's very based on like growing your community and strengthening it that way because yeah, a lot of it is based off of anthropology, you know, working like in a very big company where it's, you know, you're getting hundreds of boxes of shipment a day and it's being shipped, you know, all of like it's being made across the world and then it's being shipped back this way. And um, a lot of what I liked about that company was we were producing displays that were incredible within this store like that that's what's really cool about that company and so I kind of thought well like what if you're producing items in that way you have teams that you're local like working with and you're producing the item because that's what's cool about that company I mean and they produce beautiful products and they're an incredible company and I'm always felt honored that I got to work there but that was kind of my thinking so how do you go about executing having it be local and like finding the purest source of stuff like what does that look like so another part of why I started doing the natural dyes is I've always been really into nature I grew up in Utah I've grown up outside I've grown up hiking and you know in the national parks and all that stuff and so that's something that really like feeds my spirit or my soul or whatever I was actually a hiking guiding and I was learning about the plants and I'd been kind of messing with dyes a little bit and wanting to learn more and then I thought well I should just combine these two loves I have like 
I have this love of nature. I have this love of land and Utah and everything. And then I could bring in my textile piece, right? And so I started out kind of just really open to playing with like the possibilities, right? Like, you know, so it's using pure fabric. So it's like, is it cotton? Is it silk? But they're not synthetic because part of my goal or like my process is to like take it back and take out some of like those synthetics and stuff because that's really is what's harmful to like the earth or right so you're thinking of like the practices. full life cycle of your products yeah like they're good it's like the idea of going cradle to cradle like they'll be able to degrade and go back yeah. instead of having it be cradle to grave yeah which is where it just ends up in landfill can't yeah. decompose and becomes a toxic hazard waste yeah. product yeah, and I'm trying to implement things within my business as well as like all my products are guaranteed. So say you buy, you know, like one of the pouches or something and it's plant dyed and then it fades over time or you want to change the color or whatever, you can like mail it back to me and I can re-dye it for you. Or if any piece of it like comes apart, you can just mail back and we can like fix Mend it for it, you. Yeah. yeah, that is awesome. So, that is really, really important to me. I've always felt really um, connected to my great grandparents and stuff when they had these items and they would just hold on to them forever and like fewer items. And so I'm trying to produce things in a way that people are purchasing more meaningful and like with more intention and then we're making it that way right and they'll probably last longer they're gonna become like heirloom pieces (laughs) and her stuff it is like heirloom pieces they're just so beautiful they're lush so you just started sprinkling pieces of plants into boiling water so i went up to salt lake and i did like a weekend intensive workshop because i had messed around with it on my own but i i wasn't really having much success on my own and then i took that workshop and that was really helpful but even then it took some time after that because then i started hiking guiding and like randomly learning about the plants and that helped me step into it like more on the local plant end of it. And then I uh, teamed up with my friend Deanna. She said she wanted to learn it. So I was like, let's focus on learning it. And so then I put it into a practice where I was like, Tuesdays and Thursdays are dye days. Every day we go over there, we die. That's so cool. How did you come up with the name Circle Moon? I just like the idea of the circle because it represents what you're talking about. It's like a cycle, right? That like doesn't end or it's like you're thinking of at least the wholeness of it. And I'm really into astrology. And so that's kind of where the moon part came in. We're all into astrology. I'm just letting everybody know that okay, listens to good. this podcast. So you will hear some woo stuff on here. I don't actually know if you are you into astrology, Anna? I've looked into it. I'm a okay. Capricorn. Oh, okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, but one thing I wanted to ask for people who don't know, like what kind of products do you have? So right now I'm offering, I have like plant dyed silk kimonos and then um, pouches that are, we have like seven different pouches. So they're just for holding items and things and then um, scrunchies. You're planning on expanding that line, right? You Mm -hmm. have been partnering with like a local pattern maker. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. So the patterns, you're going to start making more and more clothing and the patterns are going to be basically all locally invented. Like they're going to come out of your mind and she's going to make them for you, right? Yeah. So everything is made here local. I'm not sewing my things. I have people who are sewing it here, like women. And then I have a pattern maker and then me. Yeah. So that is like a base of it is like growing that local industry industry here. Yeah. Yeah. And you actually, every time that I've heard you talk about your business in public, that is your, like, you harp on that. You're like, this is a women's industry. These are our jobs. Um, And so talk about that. 
it's it's an industry that's gone away mm-hmm. from here. It's, you know, and it's I just think there's such a need for women to have access to like an industry type job. I mean, we have a lot of construction jobs here and things and a lot of those things like women can have that job. But mm-hmm. like the textile industry is a beautiful industry with these beautiful opportunities of jobs. Like if my business grow, I could have people who die for me. I can have people who grow for me. I can have people who make patterns. I can have people who sew. Like why not utilize these like you know, our natural tendency is to like textiles and like these beautiful fine things. And why not let women find purposeful like meaning and like self-sustaining, you know, like value in like learning skills and like developing it. It's just, I mean, there is a lot of, well, I guess some of it goes back to college because when I first got into like liking the clothing and everything, I thought it seemed really like too out there or like frivolous or like there was not really jobs like that. But then when I started looking into, you know, what's out there in the big world, I'm like, no, this is a huge industry. There's a ton of jobs in this. There's so many different skill sets that go towards making these things successful. And I liked that you said that. I liked that you were, that women have a tendency to make beautiful things. We tend to like beautiful things and we're craftsmen and artisans and we're good with our hands and we can create and bring back that industry here. And that's so cool. Well, it's very ancestral when you Mm -hmm. think about it. I mean, people were making their own clothes for thousands and thousands of years and it was usually the women. And not that it has to be, right? I mean, none of the industries have to be. I think for me, it's just really, I want to grow or encourage people to really be doing what aligns with their true self or what makes them feel really, you know, like they had a good day's work. And But I also like that you're focused on women. I get well, it. Let's all be, be equal more. and let's all be inclusive. It's also kind of cool to just be like, yeah, I'm here to empower women. And if a woman wants to grow and get a living wage off of growing dying plants, that's cool. If a woman wants to sew, that's what she's going to do. If we need weavers, that's really cool. And I heard rumor that you're going to expand into wool, try and find local sourced wool. Is that, is that yeah. true? Yeah. That's, that's awesome. Right now I am working with an alpaca farmer. And so... Here in Utah? Yeah, well, here in Southern Utah. Oh, awesome. So yeah, even more, I want to keep it even if possible Southern Utah yeah. based. I was actually looking into that because I, I like to knit and I like to crochet and I like to sew and all that stuff. And I'm like you, I want to find everything local. Mm-hmm. And I have such a hard time finding local like fabrics, yarn, everything. I found some that are plant dyed, but they're all the way in like Vermont and Connecticut. Mm -hmm. And it's like, I I want it here. I want to be able to support people here. So I will buy all of your stuff. (laughs) I'm so excited. (laughs) And you also have a big focus on teaching these things too. Yeah. I just think that having access to education is really empowering for a community. Are you teaching courses right now? Not right now. I mean, I would definitely like to. I will sign up. I volunteer as tribute. (laughs) You can test on me. Yes. (laughs) So, you know, you talked about this starting in college, but was there anything in your childhood that was like an indicator that you were going to end up like fabulous natural dyer yeah. textile guru yeah um it it's actually been a little bit longer of a journey and as a child i i really did love flowers and plants and i really liked colors which sounds really weird but I seriously would spend hours like organizing colors I was just really like almost hyper focused on color um but as far as I want to put this in here really quick because I thought this was so crazy so my husband's also a Pisces 
And he, so they met, him and Meg met, and she was telling him, she's like, yeah, no, I know, it's really hard. Your emotions come through in colors and blah, 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 blah. And my husband, when we got in the car, he's like, I have never heard anybody describe how I feel. So you also see, like, you also feel things and see things in color. So no wonder you are very hyper-focused on color, right? Yeah, it influences me a lot. I just think that's so interesting. In home ec in seventh grade, I'm pretty sure I had my friends like sew my shorts for me. So no, I didn't really know that I would end up wanting to spend all my time in college in the sewing lab until I was a senior in college. Unfortunately, I wish I could have found out earlier that I was wanting to go in that direction, but it's all right. It all works out. But yeah, it was really through the exposure of just going to college and like I would never have thought to get into the textile stuff without just taking those classes and trying some stuff. So then what does slow crafted mean? We mentioned that in your intro, but for people who aren't familiar with that idea, how would you define slow crafted? So slow crafted is, well, we've talked about my process a bit, so it is very connected to the process. So one of the ways I really focus on describing my company is a process-based company. And it's not just like pertaining to the earth and what we're doing there, even though that is very much a focus. It's also, you know, who are the people and how are they being treated and what are we doing? And just making sure all of that process is important as well as the end result, right? But it's not just about the end result. And that's where I think the slow crafted comes in, where it's like taking the time to make sure the process is having an effect on the people and the land in a healthy, sustainable way. Because also a big focus is people. Like right now, when I go get my stuff from my sewers, like we're laughing and we're talking and they love this work. Like it makes them happy. And that's like what I'm looking for. So I don't want someone doing something if it's not really what they want to be doing or if it's not lighting them up or working for them and how they want it to work in their life. So you try and make sure you hit, let's call like like the triple bottom line now where it's people, planet, profit, where it used to be like the single bottom line of only caring about profit. I haven't heard of that, but I like it. Meg's definitely a triple P. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But I guess they'll craft it so we're like, so my process is we're hand dyeing with plant dyes or plants or however we're producing the dye, but it is a natural dye. And then um, it is being sewn here. And so it is that slower process. It's not just whipped up in a factory in like a day takes time. And also the idea is like people would buy less, right? Because they want, if you buy like smaller quantity of higher quality items, it's going to last longer and you're going to enjoy them more than buy like a hundred cheaply manufactured stuff like it's like the minimalist wardrobe but it's also it's going back to like the heirloom wardrobe right like these are pieces that'll last forever you know and if they don't you can send them back and meg will fix it well i like the idea of having him re-dye because i've always thought about that like people say well won't it fade and i'm like well, wouldn't that be cool you could just re-dye it and then you have a completely new thing and they're totally unique because colors are like you don't have a guarantee that they're going to turn out exactly 100 percent the same right it's like you're guaranteed that your product is going to look unique compared to yes. another one that's created yeah see i think that's special and I, I like that uniqueness. I, t- I can't tell you how many times I walk down the street and I see people wearing my same clothes and I'm just, I want something. I want to be different. Yeah, no, I'm glad you brought that up because that's an interesting part of the process when you're trying to like 
sell and things that, you know, it's kind of educating your customer about. I mean, they're reliable, but not 100%. Predictable. Predictable. Yeah. Predictable in color. Yeah. But they're, they're reliable. Always, You'll always get something. Yeah. But, yeah. Because even when you came over, you and I died one day and yeah. it was like the funnest day of my life. <laughs> and Meg even looked at me and she was like, well, I've never got that color before. Like she was like, this is totally unique. Let's stick everything in here right now. Um, and it's all about like when it, how long it's been blooming, where it's been blooming. Right. What, and like the yeah. pH of the water too, right? Yeah. Like that all makes a difference and you can throw in like salt or like baking soda mm-hmm. and all changes. It's all chemistry. Yeah. It all changes how the dyes interact. I love natural dyes. It's really fun. Like you said, there is, you can really like change it up and it's been kind of fun to, you can play with that, right? Like, oh, I'm going to try for this color with this other ingredient or whatever. Right, right. Well, that kind of leads into another question. Like what plants can you use for natural dye? That are local? Yes. Okay. Well, the prickly pears, the brigham tea. I mean, there's a bunch. There's like rabbit brush. There's goldenrod, juniper berries, sunflowers. Yeah. So when she came over, she was just, I was like, yeah, you know, my husband's a weird grower. He grows everything. I was like, just come over and we'll pick whatever. And she goes into my front yard and just starts pulling. Just She's like, all of this will work. All of it will work. Let's just do this. Let's get all these marigolds. Let's get the sunflower. If you do the leaves, you'll get this. If, like, it was so cool to, to watch watch your process. It was really cool because, and it was one of those, I don't know, I always call them um, my old lady moments where you go back and it's like connective and you see like, oh, we were doing this a hundred years ago, just coming out here and picking stuff and going to die. It was just such a moment of deja vu and such a familiar moment that we don't have anymore. And so it was really cool to watch her work like because like she's so fast her fingers are so fast and she knows what she's doing and it's just really cool what's your i know that you talked about locally but what's your favorite plant to die with like if it was local if it was here if you could grow it i really do have fun with sunflowers because there's so many variations and i've gotten some very different colors i mean i've gotten like celery green i've gotten a mauve from sunflowers and then also the rabbit brush is cool because i've taken it at different stages and gotten some very different colors. Like if it's really young and like fresh as opposed to like almost dried, right? Locally, those are probably some of my favorites. Now, are there things that aren't technically local but could be grown here that you can use for natural dye? Like if people wanted to start their own dye garden, like what are the top plants you'd recommend people plant? I think madder is a really great dye. Because that's red. Is that red? Uh Okay. So I'm teaming up to do a garden right now. But I think marigolds are a really great dye. So there is a company that you can go on to their website. It's Grand Prismatic Seed and they have dye plants and they're up in Utah. So they're up in Logan. Oh, cool. But they're local to Utah and they have a dye section on their website. Oh, very cool. So hollyhocks is something I've planted. Daffodils. I mean, you can use roses to dye. Lilacs. I mean, there's a lot. There are some plants that don't dye, but a lot of plants dye. Like you can dye with carrots. You can dye with blueberries. You can dye. Like, well, I was only just telling Kat, I need apple bark from like apple trees. <laughs> apple tree bark. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. yeah um, I have a plum tree in my backyard and I use the bark and I get a really, really pretty peach color. Wow. I haven't heard of so that. It's, that's super um, cool. Yeah, I guess in the way I I work with dyes. I'm very experimental. And yeah. so I'm not. You kind of go off the book. Yeah. Just I kind try of, stuff out. <laughs> I don't know. I kind of 
um, my brain just works in a very web-like way. And so you can tell that Meg's brain is going like a million miles behind her eyes <laughs> and you are just along for the ride and it's absorbing and you're so passionate about it and it is so experimental and freeing, which I think is what is so cool about what you do because in some of these forms and especially when you talk to people who are really into their craft, it is very specific. It is very locked in. They're in this process. This is how it is. And Meg isn't like that. She's just like, nope, we're going to do this. And this is an experiment and it's all fun and freeing. But you are still at that same level of dying. It's really cool. I don't know. I like it. Oh, thank you. Another plant I thought of that is very like strong here locally is pomegranate. You can die with the outer shell of the pomegranate. No, oh, that's awesome. And also, if anyone gardens, a lot of these plants are good companion plants and will attract pollinators. So it's not like you have to plant something separate. You can just intermix them. Like I grow marigolds around everything in my garden, like everywhere. So I do not have a shortage of marigolds. So everything has, you know, multiple benefits. And that actually leads perfectly kind of into your next project so you are taking this next step and um with pollinators and gardening and so do you want to talk about that project yeah so i'm teaming up with a local i mean they're up in pine valley but um a butterfly and bird farm and so i'm helping him plant and plan what plants are going to go into the garden so that i can then use them for the dying at the end of the season when they've serve their purpose of attracting the pollinators and increasing the butterflies and the birds in the area. And then he has also a bee farm right next to it. So we'll also be increasing yeah. the bees as well. That's awesome. Maybe we should interview him on the podcast. Yeah. yeah. yeah that'd be super cool. Yeah. yeah. But you're like doing all this research, right? Because you're trying to get different pollinators and everything. Yeah. Well, we're working on that research. A lot of it is based on just trying to make it a dual use farm. So I'm also wanting to extract scents from the flowers and then the colors and then yeah we are just trying to strengthen the pollinators and the species of the local butterflies and birds and bees but it's really cool he said if you go there at 7 30 in the evening in the summer it's just chock full of bluebirds so and then we're increasing like luna moss and um we have a whole list of like viceroy butterflies and i think that that is one of the things that just speaks so beautifully to your process also like you're delving into this growing this beautiful like you're trying to make all of these things better for all of these pollinators. And only then when everything's happy and been that way, then you're going to go in and harvest the plants to dye these things with. Yeah. And yeah, that's I mean, we talked about how the whole process is super important to me, but it really is. And that's how I actually kind of came about finding the garden because I was like, I'd been dying for over a year and it was about fall. And I was thinking, I need to like deepen this. I need something. And I was driving past and I saw a garden. I was like, that's why I started doing this was when I thought back to when I was little and I loved gardening. And I was like, I'm going to go visit my friend who has a garden. I'd met him because I'd gotten some of his plants and we went up there and we talked and he's like, why don't you just help me do this? Like, you should just do this with me. I'm like, all right, sure. (laughs) And you even talked about possibly bringing in silk, right? Oh, the silkworms? Yeah. Well, yeah, that's a very experimental thought at this point. Yeah. But I'm a little hesitant just because of what I know of the process. I would love, love to increase the textile. You know, like if we were 
growing cotton here or making silk here, I would love to increase um, the textile industry in that way in this area. Have you ever dyed with hemp? Have you tried that? Yeah, I have. Does it take color? I've yeah. heard it does. Okay. Because yeah. I've heard some people say it doesn't dye very well. Well, the hemp that I have is based, so it's a mix with silk. So what I have found, so when I first started dyeing, I was like, oh, I'm just going to do all this like casual cottony stuff. But then I came so my understanding of what I prefer and this is just personal to me but um was the plant on plant so when you're dying from a plant dye and then you're dying onto a plant textile fiber source it's harder to get like it's the depth of color and that's where I've kind of um gone into more of these silks and these fancier fabric and like the wool because and the wool because when you go from plant to animal like the protein you get a richer color and so maybe that's where if they're just if the hemp's just 100% they're not getting the color but I still I want to experiment with that a bit more like after that first year I was like I really like dying on silk but I kind of want to figure out how to get the cotton to take it a little more richly and you're a vegan right I'm not exclusively vegan I'm mostly a vegetarian or vegan or but you don't eat meat, right? Not really. <laughs> I mean, I will like maybe once or twice a year or something. Okay. So it's been a process. Well, though. this is what I wanted to ask you. If somebody was a vegan and they were like, well, you're using wool, like you basically don't eat meat or anything like that. So what would you say to them? Well, I think it's going back to more of these pure processes. Well, there's, there's a humane way to yeah. shear sheep and alpacas yeah. and all that. Like it's more the care of the animal, right? Yeah, and it's also like we kind of talked about this. I'm more thinking of like the silkworms or something, but it's like if it's a more natural process and you're making sure that the impact is being covered or you're ensuring the sustainability of it, then I think if it's a more pure process, I'm like a bigger believer in that than the synthetic because of the impact it has. I think the more natural it is, then there's less problem. Well, especially if you do it in a really mindful way. I think that's where people get stuck if they see all like the PETA videos and it's like, no, no animals, nothing. Like I get why people just don't want anything to do with animal products. Yes. When you see the people who are taking care of the animals who are using it in a sustainable way they're using it to regenerate then like you see those animals have like probably a better quality of life than most people i wear wool i love it i just think it's so interesting that i just want to address that is that even there's there's stuff out there that people are presenting in an eco-friendly way and that this is a better alternative but when you think of what goes into making all of those synthetic substitutes instead of just being regenerative and mindful of the animal. So that's been my thing, as pure a source as possible and as close to home as possible. It was really interesting because I was so drawn to this textile industry, you know, and I n- never really understood why. It was like, I don't know where this is coming from. Like like in college, it kept on coming up. And then after, and even when I stayed home, I, I really was like not wanting to go back into work, but I kept on feeling really like, you need to do this, pushed into it. So I started researching some of my um, family. Like my, I always feel like really strongly pulled to this one side of my mom's family and it was my great grandmother and she grew up on a sheep farm and I knew that but I didn't really think about it but I kept on digging and digging and that family sheep farm is still functioning wow and it's one of the largest sheep farms in America that like functions in a very sustainable way all this stuff and there was like a cutoff in the family like we kind of got out of touch with them but I reached out to him and he was like yeah I'll help you but he's like on the textile board like of America like association and like it was just really interesting because I was like oh maybe like I know this sounds weird but she was kind of like hey there's this whole thing like this whole world that's like connected yeah yeah and so it's kind of interesting but I totally believe in that oh me too my whole family they're all farmers I think it was my great-grandparents they owned 
like a general store and they would deliver everything in reusable containers by a horse and buggy. Whenever I, when I learned about that, I was like, oh, this is like in my DNA. I'm meant to do this. Yeah, it's weird how that, so that's actually, that great grandmother is Bessa, so that's where it's like Meg Bessa. Oh, okay. Because yeah, I felt her, like she was almost like pestering me. Like I was like, what do you want? That is so magnificent. That's um, awesome. If you like, if you didn't catch that, her Instagram name is Meg Bessa, and I didn't know where Bessa came from. And well, now is, we know. Yeah, and that's so cute. Yeah, I love that. That connects back to the women thing because she ended up being a widow, and um, it go that actually really connects back to the like a lot of this because her dad, whatever, in the early 1900s, like sent her to college, and so it's been this like very like in my family line, it's been you know you go to school, you like are able to support yourself if you have to because her husband died when she was like 40 and she ended up being like you know able to support herself and did you know that spinster is an original term that was given to women who were so good at weaving they were financially independent Ooh, that's I awesome like it. yeah so that you know is- yeah so your great grandma was a spinster yeah so people who aren't because sometimes i think that we are so wrapped up in this like sometimes we might forget that people aren't as familiar with the concepts that we're talking about. Like people are learning about this for the very first time. So we all know the benefits of natural dye and all that. But for people who aren't familiar, like what would you say is the difference between natural dye and conventional dye? Because I don't even think people really know all that goes into all the conventional Mm. dyes that are used. So if you could elaborate on that. The conventional dyes are, they're synthetic. And so it's toxic. So when you're looking at the clothing industry or the way, you know, our clothing is produced, it's, it is very, um, you know, it's a big polluter. It's like the top third polluter. And so if you're looking into that, a lot of that has to do with the dyeing process. Yeah. It's full of toxins. It's not natural. And also when they rinse that, it goes back into our system. The waterways. Yeah. 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 And so it's just a way to start pulling out of that cycle right and so the benefits are because people are really familiar with the slow food or the organic right so you're like taking out the pesticides in a sense or like you're taking out just part of that toxicity that is not healthy for us or our environment right well our skins are our largest organ right and so Mm -hmm. whatever you put on your skin it eventually like it impacts your health so if you're putting cotton or synthetic fabrics that are covered in chemicals and flame retardants and then they're dyed with chemicals that they seep onto like I've worn I've known people who like will wear the clothes that have a color and then they take it off and like the color is like on their skin the clothing company I worked for when we would open the packages when we'd get them the clothes and every piece of clothing was wrapped in plastic so you'd open it and you'd pull it out and each one of them were damp and they smell really weird because they had been sprayed right before they left the factory with something like either a disinfectant or they spray them with something to seal them and then they put them in the package and get it even if you're at high-end clothing places, they do this. But when you're shopping at any of the Walmarts, anything like that, like we would have to air our clothes out in the back room for like a couple of days before we moved them out onto the hall. Like, and I remember if we moved them straight out, people would comment on the smell and that's like your clothes. And so then you take it home and you wash it and either you put it on immediately. You're like, oh, I'm going out or I spilled on my shirt. I'm going to change into this shirt. So you put it on that shirt. You're absorbing those chemicals. You take it home and you wash it first. Okay. You just put all those chemicals into the waterway. Then you're putting it on. That's the concern. And you're right. If people hadn't researched that, it's one of those things that I think the more you get into, the more hopeless you think it is. It is because it's like, oh my gosh, everything is 
<laughs> I know. But I think that's important just to, and that's even with my business where I'm like, I'm not perfect at what I do, but it's just a process. Like, and I feel like the food movement is such a good example because I think at first that felt really overwhelming. And now I feel like we're in a really good place with that as a society, like a lot better. There's still improvements yeah. that can still be made within that. And same oh, yeah. with this, right? But at least it's there's just an a awareness. Process, yeah. And you just start, you know, moving in that direction the best that you can. Well, and things are changing too. I mean, I started looking into all of this like two years ago and I'm remember thinking there wasn't that many options for stuff. And now I see new companies popping up every single day that are based on sustainable practices Mm -hmm. and they're using natural dyes, they're using natural fibers, they're using compostable packaging material. Mm -hmm. Like things are changing and it's all consumer driven. So if you feel hopeless, vote with your dollar. What you pay for is what gets produced. And that's our next quote that we're releasing. If you feel helpless, you vote with your dollar. Like, that was pretty powerful. Good job. Way to drive it home, Anna. Thank you. One thing, because I've gotten into natural dyes, like I said, and I know I see a lot of people who do forage, like their mm-hmm. local plants, mm-hmm. and people raise concerns. They're like, well, if you're taking all the berries, all the leaves, all the nuts and seeds, whatever you're using, you're not leaving enough for the animals. Mm-hmm. Because animals depend on that for food, for nests, whatever. So how do you address, like if people were interested in going out and foraging for dye plants, how would you address that concern? Well, when I forage, I think being conscientious, you know, because you can kind of gauge the amount that's available and also being Um, you know, like according to the season of like, is it done with its life? Like, is it going to die for the winter? And like cutting that plant off isn't going to do anything. But I do think being conscientious and making sure there does seem to be enough. But and obviously, as far as like a business person goes in the future, I would love to have like a 100% like dye garden where it's like, right, where it's grown for you. Yeah, colors. Yeah. But I think as a person who is interested in their foraging, just being aware, I mean, taking the bark off my plum tree, it's actually good for the tree to debark at a certain time. And so I think just being aware of the cycles of all the plants and pe- people and animals and everything that's using them and just right. kind of fitting yourself into that. People raise that concern a lot when people go foraging for natural color. But I also think it's really important to use what is available. Like if you go past someone's house and they have a pomegranate tree and they're not they haven't picked them. They're not using them. Go up and ask them, like, you know, would you mind if I came in? And you don't need that much. Like, you can get five pomegranates and it's a lot of color. That's what I was going to say. I was like, I was shocked when she came over at how little we actually use yeah. to get what we got. Yeah, be mindful, be conscientious, be smart, don't be a jerk. But also it goes back to that concept in braiding sweetgrass. They left one patch of sweetgrass untouched. Then they had another patch that they harvested using the sacred traditions. And then they had another patch that people were just going up and pulling it out of. And the both patches where people were using it did better than the one left alone because it was yeah. just... No, we can plan it important yeah. role but i think we have to be mindful of our role right. is what is what is important to think about just be conscientious of how you're supporting the regeneration of your little local ecosystem i do think it's really important but I, you know if you see a bunch of say there's like you can die with like walnut shells so you, you go somewhere and there's all these walnut shells on the ground being not used it's more useful to use them and make something right but i i completely agree like i think that's a really great um concern to bring up yeah just in case people are gonna go start foraging just be be mindful so let's say people do go out and or they have things growing in their garden they harvest something and they want to use it for a natural dye can you kind of go through the steps of how they would 
do that. Um, it's a little bit of uh, like recipes, right? So it's like, what are you dying? If it's going to be fabric, which mostly people are dying fabric, but you have to treat it or you have to mordant it somehow. I mean, it's a sort of a process. So you either have to add something to the dye bath or pre-treat it. No matter what, you have, before that, you have to wash your fabric. It's called like scouring, right? So you're just getting off any of like the chemicals or anything that's going to like prevent the dye from coming in. So it is very much like a process of treating your fabric, finding out what recipe you want to use. There's a bunch of different ways, but you have to make sure that the color is going to set into your fabric and then you create your dye following your recipe and cooking your dye and then like dipping your fabric and then you're rinsing so like for because you mentioned pomegranates that are Mm -hmm. good source here so let's just say someone had pomegranates they harvest the pomegranates how would they use that you would take the outer shell i mean you would have to treat your fabric however you wanted to but then you would take your outer shell and like boil your pomegranate outer shell for however long sometimes people like do it to a certain temperature or sometimes they're adding in like different ingredients so it kind of depends it partly is my personality but i'm very experimental so i'm just like we kind of just do this and this i'm not a very like dun 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 dun, but you do have to like treat your fabric like you have to scour you have to somehow mordant it which that can be done pre-mordanting it can be done in the bath and And it also depends on what kind of pot like you have to use specific pots so some pots actually help mordant there's a lot that goes into like it's very scientific and there's a lot of variables that can happen so there's possibilities and i guess i like being open to those possibilities so like if you have a copper pot copper is really cool because copper interacts with the dyes like when we dyed marigolds we added pennies into our pot to see like what it would do to the color so there is like a bunch of different ways and then copper is also a mordant so it also like sets it but then there's like you can add like a loom to mordant or but then all of them don't always work together so that's where it's really like following a recipe right and if you use a pan for a natural dye you don't want to reuse that for food right so you want to have your own set dye pot i'm just curious for people who would want to get started you know giving them kind of like a starting point. Scouring your fabric's important, but there is different ways to do that. I just get like a scouring detergent, like a dyeing one online, but I didn't start out that way. I started out like rubbing my fabric in cold water, like, you know what I mean? So it's a little bit of a process of learning. I just want to stress that she isn't hiding anything. She doesn't have a recipe. She just keeps adding, hmm, that one didn't turn out. Let's do this. And I thought it was so great how nothing was past saving nothing was a screw up nothing didn't turn out it was all just different and she was just testing it it was just all a test we were just having fun and you got all these amazing things I always thought that natural dyeing was very intimidating and I am in the textiles I am in weaving I am in spinning and everything like that but natural dyeing to me is very intimidating and when I did it with her I was like this is not scary at all you know so it it is different yeah and a part of like the reason why if someone was like why didn't I have success I would like be like did you scare it Plus, you have to pre-treat your fabric. So, and then also, if you do it in the wrong kind of pot, it won't work. And so it has to be, I think it's aluminum work. Aluminum, but certain okay. pots won't. And so if someone's just trying it and they just have a random pot and it's not a pot that will work for the dyeing, it won't work. And even saying that, though, like there is like avocado dye. If someone wanted to try dyeing... I would say avocados are the easiest dye, right? Using their and you skins can use and the their... skins or the um, centers. Yeah. Or you can put them both in together or you can separate it. But that's the easiest dye. And it turns pink. Yeah. And it turns pink. Yeah. And that's a really simple way to start and have success usually. And you can use like the juices from black beans too. Like if you mm-hmm. soak black beans, you can use that. Mm-hmm. And coffee, Onion right? Skins, 
coffee. Onion skins yeah. are really easy as well. If you could start all over, what's one thing that you wish you knew before you started working with natural dyes? I'm glad I got into the mindset I did. So I think this was helpful because I started getting to that process-based mindset and I stopped attaching to an outcome. And so I- Like expecting a specific color. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I just started saying I'm, because it was really intimidating to me as well. And I was like, I'm going to let go of anything, like any expectations. And I'm just going to work on doing this and like just being open to doing the work. So if I didn't have success one day, the next day I try again. Like it was just very much like I'm going to try natural dyeing with no outcome for a year and see what happens and experimenting and playing. And that was really helpful. And I think I would go back into it that exact same way, honestly. <laughs> Not like I think I'm perfect at it, but I, I really appreciate that. I think that's how I was able to work through it. It helped me get through it. And it created it. a sustainable practice for you. Mm-hmm. You know, like that's, that's awesome. But I would think like the workshop was really helpful. I'm, I feel without that, I wouldn't have been able to step into it in that same way. Like that was very helpful. And, um, I guess I would like to get my recipes a little better, but I also do think it is a little bit of just an art form that is not always super, super consistent. So I like staying open to the possibilities. Yeah, I like that. So we've talked about everything is slow crafted and it takes time, but have you ever kept track of like how much time goes into like one specific product? Well, first of all, I just started with the dyeing, but then I wanted to produce items with it. So I think of a design or an item and then I go work with my pattern maker and explain that, you know, like design to her. And then she comes up with a prototype. So talking to her is like a day. And then, um, but on my own coming up with the ideas, I would say, you know, it takes, that's hard to put time on, but it takes some time. But, um, and then she takes her time. It takes her a couple of days to come up with a prototype, right? And then she comes back to me and shows it to me. And then I say like, yeah, it's good. Or we need to. And usually there's some adjustments at that point. And so then she has like another couple of days and then she's usually done. So that's like at least a full week or a week and a half, right, of work. And then um, and then she gives that to me and then I order my fabrics and I dye. And it takes me about a week to dye my fabrics. I've kind of settled on that. I wanted it to be shorter, but it gives me enough time to just like process them all the way through because the dyes have to sit for time, you know, like a day or two after. And and then I take it to my sewers and it usually takes them about a week to sew things. I mean, I give myself that week on dyeing and sewing because um, just for room, otherwise it feels too rushed. So like one product would roughly take like three weeks from start to finish to have it be produced. Yeah. I mean, if you're not counting the design and like coming up with. Right. And that doesn't even include like the time for the plants to grow, for the dyes, the plants to grow, for the fabrics. Totally. And and even just like the ideation behind the product. Right. But as in the production um, process, that is about three weeks. I love everything about Meg's process. I just love that you leave space for life. You're like, it feels too rushed. It's not good. You know, whereas like everyone's mindset would be like, how can I make this faster? How can I make the turnaround faster and And cheaper? Nope, this is good. Like, this is just my time. This is the process. This is what I do. Like, I love that. Well, yeah. And I think that ensures, you know, because if I'm saying I can get this done in three days, you know, which may be possible, but it doesn't give the full process. It's like full life kind of you know it's kind of like well what if something happens or like it actually was I was trying to do in three days and it wasn't feeling as possible as I thought it would be 
Well, that's why it's slow crafting. Yeah, mm-hmm. I like that. And then I like that it goes into like, are your seamstresses having fun? You know, like when yeah. you try and shorten it, then it's like impeding on their life and they're feeling overwhelmed and you're feeling overwhelmed and that energy goes into the product. That's so cool. So what motivates and inspires you? Everything. <laughs> It's all the things I've built it upon, right? It's community, it's women, it's the land, it's the colors, it's even the animals that are involved. It's just that. And I guess the base of it's like this connection, right? I think a huge thing that motivates me is creating connection in my community. So like we've talked about, like I love going to my sewers and even they were kind of like, we would never wear this. They were making fun of me. And then the next time they're like, we actually love these now. Like we're going to start wearing them. Like, (laughs) I mean, just creating that joy, like that connection. It's so cool. Or even working with this guy on the butterfly and, you know, bird garden. Now this is a whole nother level of connection that's being created between him and I and the community and the plants and these animals. Like I think connection and also creating progression around me is huge. So in the future, you said you're expanding your product line. Are you going to include kids clothing in that possibly? Yes. I've talked about that a lot. I have um, like an assistant. We've talked about that a ton where we're like, we need to get our kids stuff. What's something you failed at and what did you learn from it? Failed at starting for a super long time. I had all this energy, all these ideas, and I wasn't doing anything. And it actually was like causing me to be in a really not a good place. And so I was actually like really struggling with perfectionism. I had this like grand vision in the end, right? And it was like, I had the vision, but then like starting seemed 100% possible. And so I I mean, I guess that's why I mostly felt that was starting for a long time. And then I finally, I actually like did a bunch of therapy and stuff because I really was struggling with perfectionism in like a sort of like a big way. And that's kind of where I came up with my base of like, no, we're making this about the process. Like F like <laughs> the end result, like I'm not attaching to that anymore. I want to like get focused on the process and like move through it that way. Oh, I love that. I can relate to that. I have a hard time getting things started because I'm so focused on making sure it's perfect that I never go through with it. Yeah, that would be my best advice. Like that's how I got started was I just totally started focusing on like I'm going to work today. Nothing else matters is that I'm like doing what I feel like I need to do. Whatever that is for anyone, you know, just like go and start doing it. Start experimenting. Yeah, you're going to start out at a beginning spot. (laughs) You're not going to start out at the end. Sorry, we don't (laughs) get to go to Z. We have to start at A like all of us do. And like just letting go of that and like being proud of like your A, B and C, you know, just being like, this is like my process. That's my thing even now. Like my business isn't completely perfect where I want it. But because I've let go of that attachment, it's kind of in a cooler place than I would have been able to get to without focusing on the process. But yeah, I felt it starting. That's what I felt at the most for years that like it was a long time. Well, then what do you think is has been your biggest success? I don't know. I feel like getting to where I am right now. Like I'm happy about my dedication to my values with yeah. this, like according to what I'm doing as my business. Yeah, I think that's really important. I think a lot of people get sidetracked when they focus on maybe only making money or turning a profit. Yeah. Well, even just things, you know, dedicated to like, no, I am going to find my sellers here. No, I am going to find my sources here and not giving in. Like I kind of just like stuck to that. And then they ended up like I ended up being able to find them. Whereas like I could have easily, like it took me longer to kind of find them and stick to those values, but they ended up showing up where if I just would have been like, well, this is taking too long. I'm just going to, you know. Export it. Yeah, export it or go outside of the city to find a pattern maker or find sewers or whatever. 
That's really cool that we even have a local pattern maker. That's yeah, awesome. and just living in those values. Like, I'm not going to take shorter than a week. You are living in alignment with all your values with your company. And that's something that I think you should be super proud of. Yeah, that's for sure. amazing. Okay, final questions. What makes Utah special? Oh, Southern Utah is, like, incredible. I mean, the landscape, right, is just, like, pretty out of this world. I think that's what makes Utah really special, honestly, is the landscape and the scenery and the access to the outdoors is incredible here. And so what's been your favorite part about the farmer's market community? My favorite part? Well, I really want to tap into working with the farmers more. But I think I just love that idea of it's kind of going back to that circle, but it's just like that idea of like, how can we all work together to create a healthier environment for us all? And so I just think I I love that they grow food and plants here. And I just am a huge believer in strengthening your community. So I read this book and um, it's actually an astrology book, but she's a social activist. And I've like based so much off of this. And I think this is such a strong principle, but she, she goes and works with like communities all over the world and strengthening youth and all this stuff. And she said, you know, you go into like the richest community and a dollar doesn't leave that community until it's gone through seven people. You go into the poorest community and it leaves at 87 cents. So if we're not strengthening our community, what are we doing? And I think, too, there's just something so wonderful about having a community and building that connection and strengthening that in a society and a world that thrives on disconnect. Mm-hmm. That is just so interesting to me that it's bringing all of these people out and it's connecting all of these people in a way that everybody says that we don't connect anymore. So if you haven't made it to the farmer's market, come down. So what's your favorite book, publication, social media account that you find inspirational or profound? For me, I kind of hyper-focus in my own world, but I have an artist who is super inspiring and influential for me, and her name is Susan Ciancilo. And she teaches at Pratt in New York. She's the most inspirational account I follow, but it is sort of abstract. So we can link that in the show notes if anyone wants to find her work. You kind of answered this already, but why should people buy local food and support local farmers and makers? It's much more sustainable. I mean, if you're caring about the cycle of any part of your life, then it's a great idea. Yeah, I think it's like for the connection, but it's also helping sustain people around you who are growing things. And then it's also better for the earth. And so why not do something that's better for everything? I love your smile. Like your smile makes me so happy. Like I can't even handle it. Okay. So if listeners want to learn more about you and what you're doing, how can they uh, stay up to date? Where can they find you? They can find me on Instagram at Meg underscore Beza underscore. And then my other one, Circle underscore Moon. Okay, we'll link all those in the show notes too. But another thing I am doing is offering like local pricing and stuff. So for locals, it's at a different price than it will be elsewhere. Oh, that's cool. I like it. Well, awesome. Well, thank you so much for meeting with us today and sharing all your natural dye textile knowledge. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. You bet. It was fun. If you enjoyed listening, please subscribe and leave us a review wherever you found this podcast, especially on iTunes. If you have a specific question that you would like to ask us or our farmers, makers, or educators, send us an email at podcast at mofacoutah.com and let us know. Another way to support this podcast is by becoming a supporting member starting at only $2 a month. 
We have different levels of membership that grant access to special members-only swag like shirts, hats, bags, magnets, and stickers that show your support for your local community. To learn more, please visit mofacoutah.com slash podcast slash support. Make sure you are following us on Facebook and Instagram at Mofaco Utah and sign up for our email list at mofacoutah.com slash podcast slash sign up to stay up to date on all this podcast has to offer. Thank you so much for listening and we'll be back on your feed in two weeks. But until then, we hope, hope to, to see you at the farmer's market. The music for this episode was created by Southern Utah local Jake Shepard. <laughs>